and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I am your host, Paul Marshall. Today we're talking with Tony Scardino. He's been an executive in both the government and the private sector, and we kind of jokingly call this the multiverse world, uh, just what the experiences are like for for him in both these communities, and uh, I think you'll find it interesting. So let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. All right, we're back in the studio again. I think this is a good sign that we're uh, maybe heading back indoors again, outside of our own house. It's always a good thing. And uh, to celebrate, we have Mr. Tony Scardino here today. Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today, Paul. Absolutely. Um, well, so Tony, we're meeting with you today. We wanted to uh, give our audience a little bit of insight into what it's like to to be an executive in both the government world and the private sector world, and maybe even back and forth between the two. And just, I think you, you're a perfect person to talk about that today. And uh, why don't we just jump into it? Um, why don't you start off? Just again, remind our our folks, you know, about yourself, intro- introduce yourself, and then we'll kind of go through your career history a little bit. So take it away. Sounds good. Thank you, Paul. So yeah, as you mentioned, you know I've had the pleasure and uh, I'm fortunate enough to actually serve as a, an executive in both government, federal government that is, and uh, the private sector with a consulting firm that does tax and audit work as well. Um, and it's been quite a journey, to be honest with you. I, I've worked for five federal agencies. I work for a couple consulting firms, an international nonprofit. So besides the fact that some people would say I can't keep a job very well, um, I just thought that... Uh, you know, having the opportunity to do different things was something we should all explore if we can. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of people that work for the government are a little intimidated by leaving the government. There's a security of it. And, you know, that was certainly concerns that I had myself. But I've left the government three times now. And I was successful going back twice. Right. I don't think I'm going back a third time. I'm very <laughs> happy where I am now. Sure, sure. Uh, but I encourage people to explore opportunities in both sectors because they both are very rewarding. And we can go through that this morning. Absolutely. Well, yeah, why don't you just give us a little background? This is your, uh, you know, what is it? What's This is your life kind of thing. You give, give us your life story sure. here. Sure, sure, sure. So I started out of graduate school as a presidential management intern, which is now the Presidential Management Fellow Program. Mm-hmm. So you get a couple hundred people in grad schools all around the country, um, vetted through the Office of Personal Management, and you go work for a government agency for a couple years. Mm-hmm. I started at the FBI. I was a budget analyst for a Two years in the program, and I really enjoyed it, so I actually stayed there. I stayed at the FBI doing budget work for over seven years. But I also knew, as much as many people stay at the FBI their entire careers, I knew that it was just other things I wanted to do. Sure. So I went uh, to another agency. I became a budget officer. I love that. You know, being responsible for the budget for a federal agency was really cool. Mm-hmm. But it's still, 10 years into my career, I said, <clears throat> I knew there were other things I wanted to do that didn't necessarily just be government. So I left for about five years. Went to the private sector as well as the uh, nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of checked all those boxes. Um, you know, in the, in the nonprofit world, you get a little closer to the mission because it's smaller. And then uh, the private sector, of course, mission very different than government, right? As much right. as I was supporting government services, I'm not going to lie. The, the mission of a pr- private sector is to make, you know, bottom line is make money. Right? Sure, or at least sure. be profitable so mm-hmm. that you can continue staying in business. Right. Um, so very, very challenging to make that transition when some people consider it to be a little more risky. But I always thought that, well, we only live once, and I was going to grow from it. I was going to learn from it. Right. And to be honest, totally honest with you, I didn't love it my first time. I missed I missed public service. I missed the opportunity to um, help you know folks, you know, citizens, whatever whatever agency I was with, 
So I came back and I went to HUD where I thought it was very much tied to what I wanted to do, which was help help homeless. Right. By and large. I mean, that's overly simplification, but that's where HUD is helping people. Sure, sure. And uh, so and you're right, because you said when you were – you started in the government and then you come the private sector a little bit, and you're still serving the government in that capacity, right? Correct, yes. Um, nonprofit, and then, and then you come back. So you come back to government. That first transition, you know, how hard or how easy was that for you? So I would love to say that it was easy, but I, I would be lying. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, even with status, which means I had government service over three years, I had status, so I could apply for different jobs than someone right. just off the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not simple to get back, and that's one of the things You know, this morning I want to emphasize that I do wish the government could make it a little easier for folks to move back and forth. Because, you know, I mean, I, say, I, t- I tell people this all the time. Anyone who's ever heard me speak, I talk about my son. He's 21 years old, mm-hmm. and he just literally this morning got a job offer to join the private sector in, in our business, uh, supporting government agencies. And, you know, I hope he moves around. I hope he moves back and forth. I hope the government and the private sector make it easier to move back and forth because, right. you know, I mean, I'll call them millennials, whatever you want to call them, Gen Z. They don't necessarily want to have one job for 40 years. Right. But they're well, probably going to have to work till they're in their 70s, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm totally the same. And I tell everybody, too, like you really should try different things, different jobs, government, non-government. I mean, wh- even if it's government, try different agencies, different yeah. positions. I mean, you, that's the only way you really learn how to do all the things you need if you want to be, you know, CFO one day like yourself. Um, and speaking of which, I mean, do you feel like that really did contribute to just you understanding what, what was needed once you were able to attain that position? Yeah, a couple of different ways to answer that. One is I did work for five federal agencies, so I think that that helped prepare me for um, some of my CFO roles. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt because every agency you do about eighty percent of financial management the same, and then there's twenty percent right. in the margins that's more specific to the mission, and you may be spread all over the country or not. So there's a lot of variables there, but eighty percent of what we do is similar. So it was great to see it from a couple different agency perspectives before, and then as well as the private sector before I attained my first CFO position. So that was very helpful. Right, right, absolutely. So let's get a little bit into, you know, what were some of the reasons you had to move between, you know, and I mean, the last, you know, big move, you know, as you said, you were CFO to agency and now you're back in private sector. So just again, just curious, what what were your personal reasons or career reasons for all that? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question in the sense of it truly is a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Like I think if I had stayed at the FBI and, you know, I'd be in my 31st year now or 32nd year, I think I would still would be very happy and I would have had a great career. But to me, I like the exposure and the uh, different experiences. I think I grew more mm-hmm. as both a technician as well as a leader by getting different perspectives with different agencies, dealing with different people, different missions, right? And then, uh, you know, by coming private sector, I got a much better, better perspective of the procurement process in the mm. federal government. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. say that a little little bit of a smile here because I think it is a, uh, a bit of a frustrating process, the procurement process, and I say that on both sides. Sure. As much as I also say that it's a very noble field for folks that go into it because it's a tremendous responsibility, right? you got to make sure you're spending taxpayer dollars you know, smart as well as meeting mission requirements. So right. everybody wants – it's like with hiring and procurement. Everybody wants it yesterday. Yeah, and unfortunately, there are processes that take a lot longer than that. So I've grown to appreciate the procurement process a much greater by being on both sides of it and understanding some of the inefficiencies. That when I'm then when I went back as CFO, I tried to improve some of the processes in procurement. Things right. like doing reverse industry day, let's say. I never knew it existed until I came to the private sector. That's right. That's right. And I said, oh, you know, that's something that I think agencies should do more often. Absolutely. So I think there was a lot of value for me seeing it from both sides. 
Yeah, and if you don't mind, I'd love to hear a little bit more your thoughts on that. You know, when when you're on the government side, what were your what was your perception of procurement, and maybe you know how did you feel about it, and then contrast that again to the to private sector. So, yeah, I, I think it's frustrating on both sides. When when you're on the government side, there's just so much pressure to get things released, mm. get things awarded. Okay. So it's it's a never ending. My son used to compare it to being the checkout clerk at Giant, right? As soon as you check someone out, there's someone right behind them. Uh-huh. It's never ending. Same with procurement. Yeah. So it's not like a, you know a, a contracting officer awards a contract and then they can go relax for a month or two, even a week. They literally instantly work on the next one. I mean, they're actually working on more than one at one time usually. Sure. So anyway, then from our side on the private sector side, right. we get frustrated because we see what we consider to be poorly written solicitations, mm-hmm. or we get changing change orders all the time, or you know amendments to these solicitations. And we're like. Who is thinking about this? So there's just so much pressure on one side, the government side, and then our side. We're responding as quickly as possible. So we, obviously, we always, we always think deadlines are too short. We think they're, um, you know, they're not written as well as they could be because we, like anyone, we want to be able to make sure that we are responding with the best services or the best solutions we can provide. Right. But if it's written unclear or if we are then awarded a contract and the government doesn't get what they really needed, well, then no one wins. And it just seems overly complicated, and uh, you know, in both sides again, you know, what vehicles does your company have? Which ones are they? Is the government going to put this contract out on? Oh, we're not on that vehicle. Well, how do we let them know that we? You know, it's just, it's become so complicated. It's just, it's a full time job to understand how to even deal with this. Yeah, r- rules like that tend to be in place because somebody skirted the rules or, mm. or right did something wrong. Right. But sometimes they get too rigid in place, and they're in place forever. It's like, yeah. well, you know, that's not necessarily the best way to have that rule in place. Exactly. So, no, that's, so that's a good example. Um, and a side note, I, he's, he's going to be on the podcast, but uh, the CFO from HUD, ex-CFO, Mr. Irv Dennis, he's going to be on here. He wrote a book about all this kind of thing. <laughs> it was a great book because, you know, he, he was commercial his whole career and then came in and he didn't understand the government world at all. And it was a real wake-up call to him. Yeah, so Ir- Irv's a great guy and I'm sure he'll give you a some great stories. Oh yeah, very different than my perspective. <laughs> but um, you know, well, I won't. Ta- I take that back. Actually, I'm sure. Well, some of the same. Some of the same stuff for but sure. His history is different than mine. His, yeah. his work history. But he definitely brought up procurement as a big issue and just confusing issue for him and HR and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm assuming again, you've seen both sides of that. You know, how about the hiring process? What, how that, how does that compare for you? So you know, like anything, it's speed versus quality, mm, right? I, I like mean, that. I yeah. used to work at USPTO, and the faster you want something, like a patent awarded, mm-hmm. well, you worry about the quality, right? So there's always that that tension, inherent tension. While the hiring process in the federal government, the procurement process in the federal government, there could be lots of improvements still to come, but it's come a long way. Being able to do things online has increased, certainly from a hiring perspective, mm-hmm. but it is still challenging. People are like. What are these things called ECQs? What are these things called KSAs? Why can't I just submit a resume? Yeah. And I think some agencies have gotten to that point, but it's like anything. If, if the government doesn't do their side of it, which is reviewing the resumes in a timely fashion, it, it takes a village of sorts, right? In terms of everybody's got to do their part to make it go quicker. Right. It's not just HR. It's just, not just the hiring officials. It's not just the applicants. Everybody's got to do a bit of a better job because, I mean, you know, what I know is – the goal used to be 80 days to get someone hired, and mm. few agencies met 80 days. That's like a few hundred days, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I've heard as much as with Intel space, it's 400 oh. days. Oh, sure, for yeah, sure. You know, yeah, all the clearance clearances stuff. and mm-hmm. such. So you know what ends up happening is a lot of people get frustrated and just don't, either don't apply or they give up on their application. And they just go get a job somewhere else. Yeah, I've had a lot of folks that you know they come came to our company because they said you know I put my application in six months ago. I'm still waiting to hear you know yes. to find, get it finalized, and then eventually nine months later, oh you're you're accepted. 
It's like, okay, well, I've had a job for nine months now. <laughs> yeah. You know, hopefully I'm not, re- you know, drinking my own Kool-Aid here, but, you know, the nice thing about being in our field is that you're still supporting public service. Yeah, either way, you're still, right? exactly. You're still right. helping the government achieve its missions. I mean, by its very nature, consultants are problem solvers. Yeah. Right? And so we're an ecosystem. The government's got challenges. They always will. And we wouldn't exist if we didn't, we weren't around to support the government and solve some of those problems for them. So we need yeah. each other. So the best way you can, so the best way for me to describe it is a partnership. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you view consultants or co- you know contractors as some kind of second class citizen, yeah. or treat them w- the way you would not treat the rest of your staff, you're probably not going to be as successful as you could. Well, as you, I mean, again here, especially in D.C. area, I mean, people do go back and forth a lot, you know, uh, or a lot of people, like you said, maybe they want a different, you know, quality of life, so to speak. I mean, I think it's actually they're pretty similar these days, honestly. But you know, or the the benefits or whatever the reasons they give. You know, they may have been a contractor for 10 years, and then they go full-time government. And Sometimes it's timing in life. It's like timing my, in life. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, my son, he's just turning 22 next week, and he's going to go with a firm like us. He's like, Dad, I'm single. I don't have any responsibilities. Yeah, I want to travel the world, see right, things. Right? I'm fine working 50 <laughs> or 60 hours a week. Hey. But it may be, you know, in 10 or 15 years, he may decide, you know, with two kids at home, maybe it's not. The, I, I don't know. That's an individual right. decision for everybody. Well, but I, yeah. I do think people should be more easily able to go back and forth. Right. Well, and I'm, I'm sure you can speak to this. I mean, you were working crazy hours as a government worker, right? I mean, it's not like you're just going to work your 40 and go home necessarily. Well, yeah. yeah. Any any finance office, you'll know yeah. that, you know, I was a budget guy. Budget guys, you, budget people do what they have to, whatever needs to get done. If if the secretary or director is testifying before the Hill, you're not sleeping until the, after that hearing. That's just yeah. the way it works, right? Exactly. So. So, somebody, oops, no problem. Um, so, tell me a little bit about, you know, you have been in the private sector now a few times. Um, you know, what do you feel about, I mean, you know, bringing in some of those innovative ideas from the private sector side? I mean, I, I think government's getting better too at innovating, of course. But I mean, how do you contrast those two worlds? I've seen a lot more openness to, um, like, let's say RPA automation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Many, many, many folks used to like fear automation, like, oh, it's going to eliminate our jobs, right? Or things are going to happen, right? And the reality is, it's not what it's doing. But it's doing it's you know the, I think the last administration you know was was big on this, but they talked about low value work turning into high value work. It auto, we were able to automate a bunch of simpler processes so people can do more analytical work, which I think what most people want to do. Right. Right. That's the more interesting work. So this just gives you some idea that I think in the thirty plus years that I've been involved with the government, I've seen a lot of movement towards more automation, more interest in improving things. Right. I mean. Let's take customer experience. That's a great example. That's a big one right now, yeah. Right? You know, I used to tell people, when I was the FBI, the, the FBI didn't have to care about customer experience. What were you, did you care if the criminals were getting treated the best? I mean, it's just <laughs> right. not how it works, right? right? But then I come to USPTO where we actually did have customers, paying customers. So there we, we cared about the customers a great deal. Well, now all of government cares. So the last five years have been such a big mm-hmm. deal. Customer experience, what is it like? How can we make it better? Just because you're a monopoly, in quotes, yeah. doesn't mean that you can just treat people however you feel like treating them. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I've been doing this for 20-something years. You've been doing it longer than that. And I, it's such a difference, you know, and like you say, customer experience or even just technology advancement than I, as in adapting to it more quickly. You know, 20 years ago, I would have come in some place. They had some cobalt system or some crazy thing. Now, that's a lot more rare, I think. You know, I really feel like government's doing a great, much better job of understanding needs to modernize and is actually doing it. It's not so far behind anymore. Well, yeah, what we used to see is like the IT folks would come up with ideas and the program folks would be like, we don't have time, mm. right? You, you, you know, you're asking us to do things. Well, the current process 
while it may be not perfect, it's not broken. So we want to yeah. keep it. Uh, yeah. And the IT people would be like, but there's advancements out there. Well, now it's more of a partnership even internally, mm-hmm. where it's not just the IT people are trying to say we should advance. It's the program officers are saying, you know, we could be more efficient here. And if we're more right. efficient, then we can move towards more effectiveness. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just, I mean, again, uh, back to RPA and some of that, I've done a lot of these podcasts, and I'm amazed how many agencies, government workers are are. Building the bots. Yep. It's not just contracting it out. They want to do it. They want to build dashboards. Exactly. They want to do code, open source. It's like really, it's great to see that. Yeah, I mean, I have a client who will remain unnamed, but <laughs> the, the goal there was not to automate everything for them. It was to teach them how to automate, how to build their own bots. There you go. Which I thought was great. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, people can take ownership. They can learn more. They'll grow more. And then eventually, they'll end up doing more automation on their own. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more um, you know, there are some pain points in the transition or there's some improvements you feel that could be made for folks that are moving in between. And I don't know if this is like CFO level or a, a, every level, but, you know, were some, what were some of the things that you felt were kind of really difficult with that transition process? Well, first of all, any transition is difficult. But when you're transitioning from government to, let's say, one of our firms that we uh-huh. work for, right, sure. you're changing to a new organization but also a new industry. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's a double switch. Like if I when I move, I work, like I said, I mentioned five different agencies I work for. When I moved to a different agency, I didn't have to learn government. That's right. I actually had to learn the agency. Mm-hmm. Right. So the industry didn't change. So it's a much bigger leap when you're switching agent when you're switching industries. Industries, yes. Right. Plus, yes. then a new company. Every company's got its own policies, procedures, people. So you got to learn new people, all that. Then you also have to learn how that industry operates. Mm-hmm. So the first time I did it, I won't say that I failed. I would say that I wasn't very good at it. Right, because oh, I didn't do it for very long, but I was just like a fish out of water. Right, everything I'd done up to that point was about public service, and then I'm working for a company. While granted, we were supporting public service, I didn't understand the connection as much as I do now. So when I've come back now, this is my third time in the industry. I have a much better appreciation for all the great work that's been done in my firm as well as the industry to support the government. Right, and I mean, it's fair to say your job is totally different too, right? I mean, you're not oh, running the CFO shop. Yep, you're, yep. you know, I mean, a salesperson basically. That's what we are. But you know, we're there to do the mission, but we, you know, we have to grow the company too. Yeah, and you know what happens is when you're a CFO or in, in our business, there's there's a beginning and an end, and that you're responsible for everything. When you're a consultant, you're only doing what you're contracted to do. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a piece of it, mm-hmm. right? If I'm helping people with fees or internal controls or whatever it may be, that's all we're doing at that moment because that's what we're contracted to do. Right. So the ownership is very different. The responsibility is still great, but it's not as great as when you literally have to um, be responsible at the end of the day to sign off on something, sign off on financial statements or internal controls or deal with the auditors. It's not what you do in our world. So it's a little different. Right. Yeah, and it just depends. I mean, um, you know, if you move into a role where you're, you know, a partner or whatever for a firm, you kind of have some of those similar duties. You know, you're signing this audit letter or whatever it is. That, but, uh, you know, a lot of us end up just, we're consultants. I mean, you know, we've done something for a long time and we just want to come in and give folks good ideas. It's just a very different role, very different type of work we're doing every day. And, and you know, one thing I, mean, I am going to say, uh, I think sometimes there's a level of mistrust between the two sectors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I say that politely because my job is to, to build business in my company, so I get that. Right. Um, but sometimes people think all we want to do is sell. Like you said, we're salesmen. Yeah, that is – at the end of the day, sure, we want to you know grow business. Sure. But I always listen to anyone in the private sector because they gave me ideas. What are they seeing at other organizations? 
Yeah. Right? Yep. You know, I, my view is more myopic. When I'm CFO of a federal agency, I know what we're doing. And I'm sure I have friends in other agencies. Yeah. But by and large, I'm spending 50 hours a week on my agency. You don't have time for right. anything else, right? Right. <laughs> but when you're in the you know the advisory field, you're seeing what's happening in several agencies. So you're able to bring that to an opportunity or bring it to a lunch or a coffee with a potential client. Mm-hmm. So, yes, while you're trying to hopefully get a sale, I get that. You're also just trying to share information. I mean, that to me is actually the most fun thing about our job. Yeah, you know, I, I love to share. I love to learn new things. I love to just, you know, connect people together, too. Yep. You know, like you should talk to CFO of Agency Y. They're doing the exact same, same thing. Exactly. You guys talk, figure that out. Yep. You know, if you yep. need us, let yep. me know. Yep. But, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a sales. I'm not selling you a car. That's not my yeah. – <laughs> I don't really get excited by that. Yeah. I get excited by the, the, the actual work, you know, the it's technical like stuff. connecting dots for yeah. people, right, because yeah. they wouldn't necessarily have the advantage point to see it themselves. Right. Yeah. Again, not because they're not smart enough to see it, just because they're too busy. They're too busy. You know, that's a really good insight. I never really thought about that as much. Yeah, I mean, if you're a CFO at an agency or any executive, I mean, you're really you, – you've got so much on your plate. Yep. You're focused on that. Heads there's, down, absolutely. There's an emergency every day yes. or whatever, right? <laughs> Somewhere. So, I mean, anyway, do you feel a little lighter now? You're not having to deal with that much pressure. <laughs> You know, so what happens is different pressures, right? So now yeah, I've got okay. six or eight different clients. <laughs> uh, so sure, sure. on any particular day, there's something going, you know, maybe not perfectly in one of them. Yeah. But, but it is a different kind of pressure. I got advice before I came back to this field of mm-hmm. you're not going to have to go testify up on the hill. Mm-hmm. That's not what we do. That's right. But yeah. it is a different kind of pressure in that yeah. oftentimes if the government's getting squeezed, well, you know, my, one of my clients, well, we're going to feel it. Right. Because, like, right. you know, get us the answers faster, sooner, quicker. And I'm like, OK, we'll try, you know. Um, so, I mean, I love it. I really enjoy both aspects. And I've loved both sectors. While they support each other, they're different. Yeah. So, and I've talked to some other folks that have transitioned. And, uh, I mean, again, I guess one of the huge advantages would have to be that you, you've sat there, you've done it, you understand what it's like, so you can talk to people in, with the same language and the same background, right? Yeah. Well, in fact, in my firm, we've got something called former government executives as a group of us. Oh, interesting. And the whole idea is that we have been in your shoes. We've yeah. walked the walk, talked the talk. So... You know, we may not be the best consultants compared to folks that did it out of college and grew, grew up doing it, mm-hmm. but we bring – so we, we, we complement each other. Right. We've got folks, you know, in our firm that know the business of government because they were, like you said, literally responsible for those activities. And then we've got folks that know solutioning and they know – you know, they know the world of advisory and consulting and how we can help the government best, contract vehicles, all the things you talked about. Right. That's a little foreign to maybe a former government executive. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, the technology side, too. I mean, this happens to me as well. I mean, I, my background is CPA, you know. I, I was not a technologist necessarily, but RPA, the visualizations, low-code, no-code, all the stuff, all the buzzwords these days, that's the, you know, the staff that come in that don't really necessarily have the government experience, but they just have They really, know solutions. They, they know, know solutions, exactly. and They're that's just, what's helped me, you know, yeah. to make, oh, that, this totally clicks now. Yeah. You know, if I want to reconcile this account, why, why am I not using this thing? Yeah. You know, and that's the insights that they can bring. So it's, you have to have that combination. You need it both. Exactly. Yeah, all the, the hardcore federal government experience and some of that, you know, innovative solution side of it as well. Yep, yep. Yeah, I agree. That's why I went back to work in ecosystem. We need each other. Right, exactly. So uh, one more thing I want to just talk to you about today is uh, a little bit about AGA. Um, so, you know, I just want to f- get your feel for how you feel that you know, AGA has kind of I don't know, helped your career or supported your career? And, I mean, were you in there from the beginning on the government side, or when did you get involved? So it's an interesting question, Paul, because any if anyone talks to me long enough at an AG event, they kind of get my story because yeah. I give AG an incredible amount of credit for where I am today. Yeah. Okay. I was a budget guy, as I told you. I grew up in the budget world, so I was doing budget work for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then I joined AGA, and it exposed me to 
financial management systems and accounting and internal controls and everything else that a CFO does. And I think that seriously helped me become a CFO through mm. several agencies. Mm. Additionally, through the networking of the AGA, that helped me get more interested, involved, and known by a lot of the firms. Right. That's so true. So when, in my past, I was looking for a job or interested in pursuing other opportunities, I think through AGA I had more contacts. Right. So I benefit in both sectors of my career, mm-hmm. to be honest mm-hmm. with you, and it's a great melding because, you know, like last week we were at an AGA event, uh, the NLT, and we, I see so many people from government and as well as the industry. Right. Yeah, it's like a nice little club for all of us to be <laughs> be it a is. part of. Yes, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it looks like PDT, I'll definitely be there this year. I'm looking forward to something in person again. That's, that's, I yeah, think N- we all are. NLT was a great start, so we'll keep it moving in that direction. Exactly. Um, so I guess maybe just last, and we'll wrap it up here. But, you know, again, it's maybe a little silly about as far as suggestions for somebody who wants to do what you've done because it's you know, kind of hard to become a CFO for everybody. But, you know, I mean, what would you recommend for people that, are, you know, maybe are, have been federal for a long time or have been private sector a long time, you know, Make the jump. Should they do it? What, do they, what should they consider? You know, I would say, regardless of whether you stay in the government or the private sector, it's a diversifying your resume. Okay. Like I said, I grew up in the budget field, and no CFO has done everything. They're accountants. They've also did budget work, financial systems. It's just not possible. You don't get to live those nine lives. Yep. yep. But the more that you can diversify your resume, whether that's with detail assignments, mm-hmm. you know, you know, short term doing something else whether it's leaving a one agency to go do something else somewhere else, whether it's coming to the private sector like I did, and you, know, you see you get exposure to different things, um, whatever it is to put more exposure to things as well as experience on your resume. And I just think even not for the sake of getting a job, help you be successful in that job. Right. Right? Right. I mean, there's a difference, right? It's like what makes a good leader? It's like well, you're smart and you've got experience. What makes a great leader? Emotional intelligence, ability mm. to relate to people, so the more different things you try, you're gonna have to. You're gonna test yourself. You're gonna put yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You'll grow. You'll learn. It's gonna make you a better leader. Right. No, that's that's a great message. Um, totally agree. And yeah, no, I think this is a. You have a really unique perspective, and I think a lot of us are, you know, learned a lot today. It was very interesting. So I appreciate you being on our show today. And uh, yeah, hopefully come come back sometime soon. Thank you for having me, Paul. It was, it was a pleasure. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org is where you go. And of course, any of your pod catchers, you can catch this one. And we're getting close to the AGAPDT. We're hoping we can see you in person down there over in Anaheim. I will be there. Maybe I'll see you. Maybe uh, we can schedule a podcast. But until that next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA. <laughs>